You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of Can We Talk? This is Eric. I'm here with Anthony and Shayna. How's it going, y'all? How y'all doing? Good. Hey, how's it going? This is Anthony. Um, follow me on Instagram at Reluctant Movie Buff on inst- on Instagram, obviously. Um, oh, and uh, keep a lookout for my review of the new film Mother um, on Instagram moniker at We Are Critics. That's with an X instead of a CS at the end. Um, yeah, how's it going, man? It's going well, y'all. I just came from DC this week. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, DC is always a great time, great place, man. I could definitely see myself moving out there. It's just so much stuff to do. Did what you are you doing to- in DC? So I had to some, do some work for uh, some stuff for work. Uh, we had an event out there. Um, so I was out there for a couple of days. And I, actually, next week I'm going to Ohio. The week after that, I'm going to Alabama. So I'm traveling a lot for my job. Um, but yeah, so what, what's new with y'all other than, because this is the first time in maybe a couple of weeks that I've had the opportunity to talk on the show. So what's been going on over, over the past two weeks for you all? Well, I mean, um, I went up to Rose City, Michigan recently for a lake house trip with oh. um, my girl and my friends. Yeah, it was a, it was pretty great, man. Okay. Um, you know, I gotta say, in, okay, thank you. I gotta say, in the back of my head, I was a little, uh, I not apprehensive, but I was a little cautiously optimistic. Don't yeah. want to use the word carefree. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no carefree on that trip, <laughs> right? Right. You know, just because you know, just with all the the political climate, I didn't know what it would be like up there, but it was very yeah. relaxing. You know, I say if you ever get a chance to go to a cabin and just like relax your mind, do mm-hmm. it. So where is that at exactly? Rose City, Michigan. It's a little up north. Um, we took I seventy five north up there. Me and my girl. Um, it was about like a two hour trip. Not that long. What? Yeah. Cool. What about you, Shane? Well, I was here last week. Oh. Me and Marquise. Really <laughs> oh, that's right. Sh- we had a really good show last week. You guys listened. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good. We might break from y'all like BBD. <laughs> Please don't do that. Don't do that to us <laughs> like that. No. So this week, I want to talk about the Jamel Hill situation. It's been a lot of stuff on on social media, you know. A lot of people who are um, grilling her, but a lot of people are, who are on her side for what she did. So let's get into. It. I'm gonna read her tweets, and then we're just gonna start sort of address this. So she tweeted out uh, last week. This is the first tweet. She said, "Donald Trump is a white supremacist who has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists." In the following tweet, she says, "Trump is the most ignorant, offensive president of my lifetime. His rise is a direct result of white supremacy." Period. She then says, uh, no, the media didn't make it a threat. It it is a threat. He has empowered white supremacists. And she talked about Charlottesville. What did she say that wasn't facts? (laughs) What what wasn't? So what was the issue? What do you think caused the uproar? And why are people sort of grilling her for that? Well, I mean, um, I guess I'll just start off saying, you know, um, Jamele Hill, I would have been a little... um, I would have been a little distraught and crestfallen if she lost her job. I yeah. really would have been. I mean, first off, she's a Spartan. You know, oh, she yes. got got to support those. MSU. <laughs> but but on on a serious tip, you know, um, her her personal political views. You know, we all have the right to uh, free speech, and that's part of like the theme of what we're talking about mm. today. Um, so when I thought about that, somebody brought up a point saying, "Well, Kurt Schilling, you know, he posted a a, a picture on his." Facebook or Instagram about transsexuals and the whole bathroom thing, it was against that. Yeah. And he got fired, so why not fire her? And 
I understand where those people are coming from, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think Kurt Schilling had multiple offenses. Exactly. This is like Jamele's first time doing something like this. And is it really an offense? Right. She's a journalist. I mean, well, but go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's always like that whataboutism. Like, well, you know, uh, she said she said it, but, but what about so-and-so who got fired for it? It's like you always have to sort of find uh, another example to fit your narrative. And, and that's the one thing I hate about just this climate right now, the political climate, is that there's always someone trying to point to something else to sort of justify someone else's actions. And someone said that, you know, if ESPN is trying to be left wing, okay, it is what it is. But mm-hmm. when you watch sports, you, you're not thinking about left to light, right or left wing. You're just thinking about sports. Right. And I get that part. And it, you see, it, it's weird, this situation, because it was on her personal Twitter. Mm-hmm. She didn't shout out ESPN. But at the same time, when you're when you're like a figure or something, yeah, you do kind of like carry those not those morals with you, but you kind of are a, represent- a representation of that network's ethics. I you know do. what I mean? And no, it's not like she said. It's not like what she said was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, somebody that uh, sees uh, good people on many sides on a white supremacist side, mm-hmm. they could be classified as a white supremacist. So it wasn't anything necessarily wrong with what she said, but I can see how some criticism, like from people who aren't Trump supporters, being like, "Well, you know, you got to be careful what you say." Right. I mean, but even in today. In today's climate, and you're looking at the things that are happening in terms of NFL and, and the uh, the players who are taking knees during the national anthem, I mean, it, it does blend the two between sports and, and politics. And I think, you know, in her case, she is just sort of pointing out, you know, where that 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 flaw lies. And so, even though she is a sports journalist, I think that with what's going on, and there's such a uh, a mix between, um, you know, the, the the political realm of what's happening today in terms of you know, the racial injustices, discrimination uh, that a lot of the players have faced, even if you look at, at uh, Michael Bennett, what was going on with him. I think this was her sort of speaking against that and speaking against the administration who hasn't really uh, denounced what's been going on. So, yeah, I think I think it was it was merited. I think it was warranted what she said. But I, I kind of um, I mean, I definitely agree with what she said, but at, I can't remember or recall the time where any journalist, white or black, has used the term white supremacist or white supremacy mm. in such like high volume now. Yeah. yeah. And I could see that. So I think, so do you think it's just one of those things where people are um, overusing the term or is it just, she caught out. So you were saying that she's right in calling out the president, but not in the right way. I believe, I don't, I believe she, she did it in a correct manner when she was, uh, when she was, tweeting that she was responding to someone. Mm-hmm. So I, be, I believe that she is correcting her. But it's just the term white supremacy and the term white supremacist, I do kind of feel like it's being overused. Yeah, it is. It I, is. And um, I was going to say, she did bring up a good point when somebody, I don't know the exact video, but someone did interview Jamele after the incident. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, as a sports journalist, you, you can't tell me this isn't relevant because in sports, we're talking about Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and him being, you know, kind of blackballed a bit for taking a stand. That connects, you know, so I kind of have to do comment on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You, and I think that's that's why I was what I was kind of pointing to. You have to, especially in this day and age, if you go through and don't say anything and you're witnessing this, the stuff that's happening and you remain silent. I think that's a bigger issue. And so I understand that there are consequences to actions. And so. You know, ESPN has the right to do what they what they must. But 
um, to fire her for the offense. I'm glad they didn't because I feel like that would have caused a lot more uproar. But also hearing what her coworkers have done as well. So her coworkers were pretty much the ones they were get, trying to get rid of her. And they were like, no, I'm not going to work with anyone else. Um, and so they sort of uh, shielded her in that regard. And so I think that was definitely you know, commendable on their their part for her. Yeah, the the coworkers stood by her. It was it was corporate that was trying to push yeah. her to the side. And then the corporate made a statement just saying that it was inappropriate. Um let me see if I can find a tweet. Basically that she has a right to her personal opinion, but not to publicly share them on a platform that implies that she was in any way speaking on behalf of ESPN. And that's tricky because I can understand how someone could say, well she wasn't. It was her personal account. Mm-hmm. But then again when you look at people's um Twitter biographies, you know, a little biography on Instagram saying, oh, I'm a commentator on ESPNs. Yep. So you, it's, it's both sides. It's, you know. it's, and it brings a, a larger question of even looking, looking at the NFL. Some people say that as an NFL player, you need to stay in your lane. You need to stick to sports. Right. But again, a lot of them are affected by what's going on in the world today. And so where do, where do they fit in? Where can they, where can they have their voices heard? Without being pushed off and saying, "Oh, you're you're an athlete. You can't say this stuff. Like this is this is your job. Your job shouldn't really delve into politics." Where is that line? I think for the most part, like people want black people and people of color to suffer in silence. Mm. Like they don't want to, like they want to deal with the benefits mm-hmm. of white supremacy without hearing about how it negatively affects other people. Yeah, and I think that's just a good segue into like you know another part of this conversation, whereas. Where do, how do we take in the term free speech in this day and age? Mm. In in the you can't call it a post Trump era. We're gonna say in the Trump era. Yeah. How do we look at free speech in the Trump era? That's a great question. One of the most alarming, you know, um, um, examples of uh, hypocrisy I've seen on social media today is that when um, when people who who consider themselves left wing or just anti Trump in general, maybe mm-hmm. just independent voters, they talk out against Trump. Oh, you guys are so mean. You know, why you guys got to come for his head every time? Yeah. Where it's like, well, for four to eight years, people called uh, Obama a monkey. Right. They called Michelle Obama all kinds of names. That's not what a first lady should look like, mm-hmm. you know, like. And so you're acting like what you call us snowflakes yeah. when we talk about uh, your leader. And I think like Chris Rock like made a like good point where it's like all of this racial stuff against Obama is actually hindering like black people from effectively constructively critiquing the Obama administration. Mm, right. That's a that's a, a valid point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And it it makes you really look into um you know just in society how far have we divided ourselves? You know, I think that when it gets to that point where you can't even have like a, just a, a discussion with someone, you know, about politics or about religion or about even sports without somebody trying to cut your throat (laughs) it's gonna get heated you know it it didn't always used to be like this Mm. you know i remember when trump first got elected i was um i was friends with a woman you know at at one at my job i found out she was a trump supporter and i I didn't come for her head i was just really trying to understand and at some point in the conversation there were kind of like passive aggressive remarks made Mm. and yeah it's it it gets heated nowadays because it goes beyond politics i think with this with this term yeah, and I think often with freedom of speech, we we need to realize that, you know, with freedom of speech comes the freedom of, of consequence. And, um, you know, I think that when we're looking at being able to ex- ex- exert your right to, to say what you want, to do what you want, um, it is a lot of a – it's a controversial issue because some people feel that as 
a representative of whatever organization or as a representative, even as a United States citizen, you do have that right, but you also can justly be um, penalized for what you say. And so that's where that's where it really digs with me is like, well, what can you do? Because think about it. Things you, the things you put on social media are there with you forever. Um, but we're looking at a president who puts stuff on social media with no consequences at all. Right. And so it's like where <laughs> I'm being punished, but he can say whatever he wants to say and, and not get punished. Yeah. But like, I guess, how do you like? What is your your guys' understanding of freedom of speech? Because my understanding of freedom of like speech is freedom to say, you know, what you feel, or your freedom to your opinion. Like, it's not you know something that's not dangerous or threatening or something mm-hmm. like that without going to jail. That that's that's my understanding of it. So it's not freedom from saying what you want and not getting fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Freedom uh, from saying what you want and not catching these hands. <laughs> right. I, it, that it's just again, simply you can't be jailed for what you say. But then again, catching the hands, that's on the, the side of oppressed mm. who becomes the oppressor. That, that right. was their decision to yeah. make that person catch those hands. I'm speaking hypothetically, but, you know, freedom of speech, I mean, it's it's complicated to me. I believe you are free to believe what you want to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, if you believe in God, if you don't believe in God. Um, if you believe we're all created equal, if you believe that I'm inferior to you or white people are inferior to you as a black man, you know, you're free to believe that. And no, you're not free from getting fired. Of course not. And I think it's tricky to try to define that from where I'm standing because it seems like the lines have been blurred to me. And I think it goes back to, um, when, especially during Trump's campaign, he talked about this sense of we're too politically correct and, politically correct being this thing as to being too soft or being too sensitive, um, which sort of made people more eager to say what they want and willing to say what they want, um, just off the top of their head without looking at the consequences of what their actions sort of impose. And I think this whole thing about being too PC, you know, being a snowflake, I think that's their, the rights way of sort of, um, not manipulating, but, but sort of, sort of, uh, degrading, the left or, or those who, who sort of skew left under the guise of being um, a First Amendment speech, First Amendment right. But like you said, you can still catch those hands. But <laughs> but legally, if someone says something to you that you don't like and you punch them, you're still in the wrong. Right. So. But you know what? It, from To go by your point, you know what makes that um, still hypocritical? Mm-hmm. If the right wants us all to um, say, well, let's not be so PC. The minute we stop becoming PC, then it's like, oh, you're going too far. Right. You're, you're wrong. You know, you, you haven't given Trump a chance. So it's mm. it's it's not coming from a sincere place. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at Hill's statement, that was her not being politically correct. If you, if you look at it, so yeah. being completely correct would be towing that line and not saying anything. So she decided to say something. She decided to say what was in her heart, right. and now she's facing backlash for it. Well, I I don't follow Jamel Hill on uh, Twitter, but I follow a lot of, you know, sports fanatics. And mm. so they retweet her a lot. Yeah. So every now and then I'll click on the tweet and I'll see the response. So even before this and even before the mass layoffs at ESPN, she could tweet, you know, uh, her opinion about basketball. And mm. then underneath it'll be a response. So you should get fired. Oh, wow. Like you're unqualified. You can't do your job. Like just... You know, mean and nasty things, mm. you know, said toward her. And I'm not sure how her notifications work because you can adjust those right, you on, on your uh, on your Twitter. So I'm not sure if she's actually seeing this, mm. but I see it. I agree. I feel like she faces she has a lot of nasty comments regardless. Like you said, regardless of what she posts. 
And I think there's this sense of um, even since she's a, a woman and let alone being a black woman in an industry that's typically dominated by men, uh, I think that she, she faces just off of that a lot of um, backlash and a lot of criticism unfairly. And I mean, that takes you to a whole nother issue of, of, you know, how we treat journalists who are female or people of color as opposed to those who are just white men or even black men in, in some extent. And so, that, I mean, that's that's a greater societal issue um, that we definitely have to dig into, because if you look at even look at any female or black female reporter or journalist on Twitter, like you said, there's going to be comments saying all types of crazy stuff. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've read a lot of uh, ESPN comments, comments to say uh, if a woman is reporting, they say, you know, you need to go back to the kitchen or, or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just nasty. It's nasty out there. And, and so looking at it from this perspective of black female or females in general in the, in the field of journalism, I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of how, the climate around um, how we treat them and, and how we view their opinions on things? I'm going to let you start off with that one. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't follow her, but it's not that um, because I don't respect her opinion. Mm-hmm. I do. I do respect her uh, opinion on a lot of stuff, especially as it relates to sports that I watch. So I like, I don't see her any, you know, different from any other journalist that I agree with mm-hmm. a lot or for the most part. I mean, I do feel as if racial, if there was a Rachel Maddow or a, um, Katie Couric, I know she's retired, but mm-hmm. if they had said something, um, if if they had said something similar, not the white supremacist thing, but something like similar with the same kind of criticism, mm-hmm. I believe there will be less backlash. Um, I believe uh, Rachel Maddow has said something like similar, you yeah. know, calling out, you know, Trump, yeah. you know, his hypocrisy. I'm I'm not sure she used the term white supremacist or white supremacy, but she mm. does, you know. Is there as much backlash towards her? I, but I guess that, but that's just like a typical day on her show. So, no. <laughs> I mean, but how unprecedented is it for the president of the United States to directly tweet um, or even subtweet? A citizen saying that they should get fired for that like that's you know that that definitely crosses the lines that i think it was immature for him to even address this this is espn you're president of the united states mm. this is one network on tv i mean I, yeah. I think it was immature for him to even uh address this i mean he loves his he loves watching it, television <laughs> it, it comes it comes to a point where when I'm just sitting around with like friends and family and Trump's name come up, I'm like, guys, can we have a good day? Can we not mention this monster that, in my opinion, because I got, I guess I got to make that clear now. Yeah. In my opinion, a, a monster that runs, that's like the head of our state. Mm. It's it's hard though because I think that um, anywhere you go, even from the dissenters of, of President Trump, everyone is sort of anything he does is sort of uh, magnified, and it's almost like you can't escape. Anything he says, his, his next tweet is going to be uh, the most retweeted thing, you know, it, until another tweet follows. And so it's, it's 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 tough because we're living in this environment where we're being controlled and the so, and social media is, is really forming our opinions on a daily basis. Perfect form of freedom of speech um, uh, resulting in maybe losing your job or losing the benefits you may have in life. Um, the Tigers, uh, the Lions game, I believe mm-hmm. there were um, there was a black couple sitting down. During the um, the national, the national anthem. anthem, during the national anthem, and uh, somebody uh, took a picture of them and said, uh, 
was it was it lazy lazy niggers or yeah yeah, yeah. he said yeah that. wow and he lost his um his his um <clears throat> season pass. I don't know if he lost his job. I think he he was a uh, he's an entrepreneur. So oh. yeah, and that's definitely I think I commend Alliance for that because um again you don't want people who are in some way representing your organization because even as a fan you're representing the fan base and you secondhandedly represent the organization and so if you have individuals who if I don't feel comfortable going to a game because I see someone who is a season ticket holder who sits next to me are making comments like that, you know, I'm I'm going to take my money elsewhere. I'm going to leave. Um, and they were also season ticket holders. Mm. So you like I do believe like the like the organization that you have uh, a responsibility to protect mm. your your clientele. Even with the um a couple of things that happened downtown Detroit recently. Uh, they have they opened up the new arena, um, the Little Caesars Arena, and they had the Kid Rock concert. And so it was a lot of issues around Kid Rock only because he, obviously, he showcases the Confederate flag at his uh, concerts. He's he's running for Republican uh, as a Republican Senate senator for United States. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> only in America. <laughs> only in, only in America. And so he faced a lot of backlash based off of. The fact that he does sort of um, represent that that Confederate culture and that Southern culture, which he's not even from the South. Yeah, he's so from Michigan. Which I don't understand. But do you think that, he, and it goes to freedom of speech, in that situation, I mean, is it fine for him to display that? I mean, he has the right to. The Confederate flag means different things for different people. I mean, when you when you speak to certain people who are from the South, who they're, they're not really— I'm not that educated on this matter, so forgive mm-hmm. me if I slip up. But they're not really all that, you know, about that Robert E. Lee life. But it's right. more of kind of like a um, pride, like a yeah, kind of like a pride, kind of like something you keep in the house just for, and it's nostalgic t- to you because it was around when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. They don't look at it as oh, you know, um, slaves being um, hung, you know, civil right. war and all that. So it, it means different things for different people. For Kid Rock, I don't, I don't know if his origins come from the South. Yeah, you know, because he's from Michigan, so I'm I'm a little confused when it comes because didn't we win? <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, like seriously, the South won oh, the war. My bad. <laughs> in, <laughs> like in I mind. mean, like no, like they, I believe, like they got what they they they. I mean, they got rid of you chattel mean, slavery mm. through Congress, but they still had convict leasing. They mm. still had peonage, and some people even still had slaves. I remember they. Tried to prosecute a guy, they found him guilty, mm-hmm. but there was no precedent because nobody had ever been convicted of still having slaves, and this was in the 1920s. Mm. You know that that brings that's interesting because I've actually when I've done some research about you know the the um, Reconstruction era, era after Civil War, there was a lot of obviously slavery was no longer the law of the land, but people took their time. Like in the South, they they took the good old time to even tell the the slaves like you're free, um, and that sort of led to, again, you you sort of saw that slavery was still in the system, although it was illegal, and no one was doing anything about it because they just they slow walked it. Okay, yeah, and so it's listen. like a little loophole in the Thirteenth Amendment, you know, mm-hmm. the um, except for punishment for crimes loophole. Right. So you know, black people were criminalized and then locked up for not having a job Mm. for, you know, walking around and stuff like that. So I like when I say I believe like the South one, I I say that because we have the biggest population of black people in the South, 
mm-hmm. they don't have any political power. Mm. So you're talking about more of a long run type of thing, like they won in the long run? Yes. Oh, okay. That's an interesting perspective. So look, 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 I, I don't study the Civil War that much, but mm-hmm. like, Objectively, in that point in time, the North won, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they won. All right. But in the <laughs> long run— I thought run, I sounded stupid, but okay. No, you did not. But just in the <laughs> long run, they won that war. And I can see I can see where you— Politically. Yeah, I can see where you where you got that. No, um, yeah. Only because, you know, in, in, if you don't control, you know, your right to vote and your, your right to have representation, you know, you really don't have any political power. And the political power is one of the resources that— really is needed in order to sort of um, get yourself out of certain situations. And yeah, and even looking at sports and you're looking at what we do today, I think that I've, I've always never cared for the, I, I love watching sports, but I never cared for the way it's structured. I feel like the NFL draft is sort of like a slave auction block yes. for the most part. And so the, these athletes are, are half naked. The combine is this. Is it is a slight. Is it, I yeah. Even when I watch football, I did not watch that. <laughs> it made and, me uncomfortable. And the fact that in the NFL you have thirty-one owners, and not one of them looks like any other players that on the team. Yeah. Like majority of the players on the team, but that elite that's seventy percent black. Not one NFL owners. I mean, honestly, I'm not really a sports fan, yeah. but I was aware of who Jamelly Hill and um. The man who the man who she comments with, I think his name is Michael Michael, yeah. Michael, Michael Smith. Smith. Michael I was aware of their segment. I've seen it on TV mm-hmm. in certain places. So yeah, that did resonate with me. But yeah, I'm not really a sports fan. But the NFL draft does seem kind seems very odd to me. It, it does. And then we display it on on television all day. You know, for the week of the combine, they, they will go through every single player and make comments like, "Oh, he's." It seems like a get out teacup situation. <laughs> it, it does like, almost. And Marquise is at the door. Oh, we have Marquise joining us. And the fact that, um, you know, we just sort of glorify the athletes, the athletic side of them. But once they step outside of that box and sort of express who they are as a person, we are quick to sort of shut that down. Yeah. Like that's not your job. Like your job is to run up and down the court or run up and down the field. That's not your job to give political commentary based on your experience. Right. And I don't get that. Like, we're all, we're, oh, we got Marquise joining? Marquise, how's it going? What's up, man? <laughs> Good to see you. So right now we're talking about um, essentially the, the combination or the, the blending of sports and politics. And so right now we're in a time where, um, and I know you, you sure, I'm sure you saw the Jamel Hill situation where, you know, she's being um, sort of scrutinized for uh, really speaking truth to power, you know, and, and telling telling her feelings of, of what's going on in terms of uh, the President Trump. And she's have facing a lot of backlash and criticism for that. Um, and we're talking about right now is, you know, how the NFL has, you know, 31 owner, owners and none of them really represent who the majority of the league is. In a situation where, um, you know, even in the NFL combine, it looks like a slave, slave auction block for the most part, man, the way that is that is set up and ran. Um, so what are your what are your thoughts? Since you being in journalism, you, you have an understanding of, sort of the boundaries of what of what journalists can can say. And I guess in sports journalism, journalism is a little bit different. You're sort of told to speak just to sports, aspects of sports. Right. Um, so what do you think about that situation with Jamel Hill? And do you think that um, she was right to say what she, she said? And the criticism that she faced after that, do you think is, is warranted? Well, um, 
I don't know a lot about it. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, I know I heard she said he was a white supremacist, yeah, and I can I can read the tweet if you want to. Yeah, yeah, read it for me. All right. So the first couple of tweets, she just basically said, um, you know, Donald Trump is a white supremacist who has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. Mm. Uh, Trump is the most ignorant, offensive president of my lifetime. His rise is a direct result of white supremacy. Period. Okay. From a journalism standpoint, uh, I don't think she should have said it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of uh, the position in which she's in. And um, we're held to a different standard. Mm-hmm. You know, we are to be objective and we are to be truth seekers and, and fact finders. Mm-hmm. And so you, you you have to leave your personal opinion out of it. And I know increasingly now in journalism and in news, you see now that more and more journalists have an opinion. It's opinion based. Yeah. But that's not where we come from. You know, we come from the position of finding out truth and seeking truth. So I think she should have left her personal opinion to herself. Mm. Um, However, the White House asked her to apologize, right? Yeah. And I think that's wrong because she is entitled to her own opinion in a way. You know, it's just I guess I'm thinking in terms I'm looking at it two different ways. Her as a person Mm -hmm. and her as a journalist. And there's a fine line there as to when you can, you know, be yourself and how can you be yourself? Should should I wait till I'm just around my family or my friends off mic to make comments like that? Am I not able to make comments like that on my personal social media? You know, people get fired for saying things like that, you know, Um, but they were totally wrong in thinking that she should be fired. Yeah. I mean, when you have a president here who questioned the former president's ability to even be the president by saying that he wasn't even born in this country, questioned it. Questioned his grades as well. Right. I mean, he he never apologized. He just moved on from it. Yeah. And so um, in, in that regard. Why don't we hold these people accountable? Rush Limbaugh, why is he never held accountable for the, the outrageous, outlandish comments that he's made about President Obama and Hillary Clinton and the Clintons? You know, anyone right. who's a Democrat, basically. Um, it, it's it, This thing is a double standard sometimes, you know, that why should she be fired for her comments? But he's never had any, he's never apologized. He's never had to he's never been censored what about the the congressman who yelled out in the middle of president obama's state of the union speech calling him a liar yeah on national tv he was never censored he never was had to apologize they just move on Mm. but she makes a comment and she should be she should be fired for it Mm. Uh, i think that part is wrong but i think on a personal level uh you want to watch what you say on your social media as a journalist because you're supposed to be Objective. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but to pull out the Rush Limbaugh example, there's a difference between him and Jamele Hill. Jamele Hill. Jamel. Jamel. <laughs> okay. Jamel, my bad. Jamel Hill is a part of ESPN. Rush Limbaugh has his own, like, little radio station, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, if you want to talk loud and greasy, I mean, people can have opinions about it, but you're not representing any brand. You're just yourself. Thanks, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's well, tough only because— he- I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it's tough only because um, in his situation, he is he's supposed to be this journalist that people look to for information. Right. But if it's information he's spewing is false, you know, there should be some type of repercussions for that. Oh, yeah. Definitely- Jamel is a sports journalist. Rush Limbaugh is a propagandist. There's that's their main difference. 
And he's also been um, one of the standard bearers, bearers for the uh, Republican Party. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, his voice goes a long way in in their agenda, their policy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if, if Rush agrees to the policy or the agenda that the Republican Party is pushing forward, mm-hmm. then most most times most uh, senators and congressmen who are part of that party are pushing that agenda. Mm-hmm. He pushes the agenda of the Republican Party. Um. So uh, uh, what I'm saying is if he's able to sit on air and say some of the things that he said about the president in a totally disrespectful way, mm-hmm. then and he was never fired. Why should she be fired? All right. I mean, and even look at we talked about this earlier, but look at the, the president of the United States. He's supposed to be a symbol of freedom, symbol of democracy within this nation, within the world. Um. But he's tweeting, he's retweeting videos of him hitting a golf ball and knocking out Hillary Clinton on a plane. Did y'all see that today? There's something every day with this guy. And, and so he's trying to be this moral authority and say, like, oh, she needs to be fired. But we're looking at your tweets and it's like, how are you going to say anyone should be fired and you're doing this? And so it's like, where do you, where do the lines, where is it, where, when is it going to get to the point where we're like, all right, President Trump, you know, Donald, you're, you're not representing the, the, the office of the presidency. You need to go. <laughs> like, if you can say the same thing about Jamel Hill, you know we should be able to say we, the people of the United States, who he who he represents, we should be able to say like, hey, we don't agree with this. You know, this is something that we don't we don't like. We should, um, but we have to also also remember is that he was elected um, by the people. You know, um, maybe not the popular well, not vote, the popular, yeah. Yeah. but. Um, that, and that's the that's the way the democracy in America works is that uh, we have the electoral college to balance out the popular vote, and that's a whole other conversation yeah. in itself. But he's the elected president right now. He has shown some some signs over the last couple last week or so that he is not as crazy. Um, let me take that word back. Not crazy, but um, um. Divisive or, or uh, he he's he has a, a willingness now to work with the other side. I think he's seeing now with his own party, he's hijacked the Republican Party and um, a lot of his views and stuff. Donald Trump was never a Republican. No, he wasn't. And when you look back in his past, he's donated to more Democrats. I mean, he was really good cl- friends with the Clintons. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, mind? Well, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, could you throw us a few examples on how he's willing to work with the other party? Well, good. Uh, first one is um, the debt ceiling. Uh, as you know, uh, the week a uh, week or two ago, um, the debt ceiling was supposed to the Republicans were going to shut down the government. They were not going to vote to extend the debt ceiling uh, by that Friday. He had uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer come over. Uh, they had a uh, sit down conversation and agreed uh, to uh, uh, just a flat bill to uh, give mass funding for uh, Hurricane Harvey in Texas and uh, to raise the debt ceiling. The Republicans didn't want that bill, but he worked that out with with the Democrats, and they got it across. Um, He's also been in meetings with them over the last week uh, to uh, discuss DACA and how they can make that law. So, you know, he has shown a few signs now, and I think it's because the Republicans are beginning to return, uh, turn on him, mm-hmm. and he's reaching out now to Democrats to try to get his his mm-hmm. policies across. If he can get half of them yeah. and some of his Republicans 
to to stay on with him and mm. push his agenda, then he can get some policies and stuff across. Did but, he go back on the DACA thing, though? Like, well, you know, this guy is the tweet master. So yeah. I, I just uh, remember because there's, there's news being thrown at you every 15 minutes about this guy. But I remember mm. him sending out a tweet saying, oh, there was no agreement made and all that, like – so I mean I do agree with you about the the debt ceiling thing that's good but I still think he is like just as divisive. I, I'm not I'm not saying he isn't. I'm <laughs> right. saying what I'm saying is in the last week he has had some meetings with them about it. And President okay. Trump's view is that um, the Congress should come up and, with a law and make this a law um, as to how do we deal with the Dreamers? You know how do we deal with that that group? And um, I mean. I totally disagree with them abolishing uh, and coming away from the the Dreamers Act, but they made that decision. The good thing about it is the man is actually now turning back because he saw it was such a bad decision and saying, hey, you know what? Let me try to work with the Democrats and the Republicans on how can we put a program together or get a law passed, a bill passed that allows these Dreamers to stay in this country after Mm -hmm. six months. You know, my biggest concern with Donald Trump, and I agree he has been doing a few things that um, is sort of trying to bridge the gap between the parties. But my biggest issue is that he has really no loyalty to anyone but himself. Oh, no. And so Correct. it could be an alter- alternative motive or something to that. Um, and I'm just I'm a little hesitant. I don't know what he's going to try to throw in there to sort of sway it any in one way or the other. But I feel like there's more to what he does. And there's always something behind the scenes. Um, and so that, that's where I'm a little concerned. I don't I don't want him to pass something and then throw the funding of, a, of the wall into that as well. I don't um, think America has been this tense since, since you know, right after 9-11. Yeah. We're, we're in a tense spot right now. I mean, because it's not just him. It's also, you know, it, it even has to do with the climate. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the hurricanes coming our way it has to do with North Korea. Yeah. We're in a very tense spot right now. Yeah. And we are. And I think that we have to navigate. A lot of challenges um, that we didn't really foresee. And I think we always had that North Korea issue. North Korea was always there lingering for the past three decades. Um, but it's now it's just one of those things where it seems like it's coming to the head at this point. And I think uh, you have sort of like the, the right recipe of two leaders who really don't care. <laughs> they just they just care about their popularity. They just care about doing what they feel. And not having that person, not having a, a person who is a stabilizing force on either side is always a challenge, especially when we're dealing with you know, political issues such as North Korea and, you know, even issues in terms of dealing with natural disasters. And um, it, it's tough. It's a tough time. I think dealing with, you know, going back to free speech, I think sometimes when I try to look for objective news and we talked mm-hmm. about this during our social media talk, mm-hmm. it's hard out there. I yeah. mean, you. You, you you got sites such as the other ninety eight percent, which is extremely left wing. Mm-hmm. Um, you got you got right wing news. You got you know you got Fox and other things, and it's hard finding objective news about that out there without a reporter bringing in his or her own little like feelings about it. Like oh, I can't believe he said this, but mm-hmm. today in news, I'm like you know yeah yeah, and it's like it's really hard. Like because it's easy for me, you know, as a black woman to effectively, you know, sending a group, you know, surrounded by other black people and critique, oh, yeah, Fox News, what they said was wrong. But if I critique Joy Reid and say what she said was wrong, like that's not correct based on the stats. You critique Roland Martin, you know, you get, <laughs> right. get a little few side looks. It's like Yeah, mm-hmm. like you can't like, yeah, yeah because I'm, I don't, I don't want to do the Donald Trump thing and say it's incorrectness on both sides. Yeah. 
But yeah, That's like it's really, really, it's really, really hard to find like objective news. It's tough. I mean, it's so polarized. It's almost like being in the East Coast, West Coast, uh, rap beef where you, where you, you know, you know, one side or the other. Um, and I think at this point, it's it's not healthy. I think we are as divided and polarized as a nation as we've ever been. You know, I mean, even well, the Civil War, <laughs> but but we're we're close to that in terms of uh, being divided. And I think that you know that next step is is going to be something that, that escalates this. Ten- and I'm telling you, if Donald Trump gets impeached somehow through the uh, Mueller investigation is going to be off the chain. I think people are not going to, at least on the right side, they're going to fight that. I'm scared of Pence, man. I think yeah. Pence is a guy that knows what he's doing and doesn't tweet, and that's even more of a threat. That's why I say we're in a, like, just if if, if, you, if you don't support Trump, you're in a very tense place right now. Hmm. Well, But with Pence, though, he is, he is scary, but he also, I mean, you know what to expect from him. Like, you don't know what to expect from Donald Trump. Any day, it's just be one day he's like, all right, I'm, I don't like um, black people. We're going to start slavery. <laughs> he's, I mean, it's just like, there's it, no rational thought for him. It's more so off of emotion. And I think any leader who leads off of emotion and don't really think logically about stuff, that's where you have a, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, because I react because he's so emotional and unhinged. Our reaction to him is right. like emotional. Mm-hmm. And unhinged sometimes. Yeah, unhinged sometimes. <laughs> say the same thing about free speech. I think he is the the living example of the consequences of free speech. Mm. You know, when you act off emotional, when you act emotional and not you know off rationality, you can't be a recipe for disaster. I think he's actually. I I agree. I think that he represents what people wish they could say. And again, it goes back to to the political correctness. Um, a lot of times. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not white. I can't speak for the white experience, but I think is there's a sense that um, they are afraid that they're giving up something or that they're, that they're they're not being heard. And I think that you know, as as you're starting to see the influx of immigration, as you're starting to see that um, minorities are more represented in entertainment on television, we're out there more. I think there's also the sense of all right, what happened? Where are we going? And I think that's that's. It's natural. It's a natural feeling. I think that's a natural reaction for anyone to feel like, all right, I need where where are we? Where where do we belong in this situation? It's gotten so bad. You give some of these people's like you give some of these people greater platforms to speak. Mm-hmm. I remember Megan Kelly was interviewing Alex Jones. This oh, is a yeah. very radical Jones, guy yeah. that believes I think I think he said the Boston massacre didn't happen. Wow. It was either Boston massacre or Sandy Hook. He said one of yeah, those. Oh, Sandy, oh, yeah, Sandy Hook. Sandy, yeah. He said Sandy Hook <laughs> massacre didn't happen. She gave this man airtime. Mm. You know, it, there needs to be limits to free speech. I guess is what I'm <clears> saying here. I mean, but look at um, you know the alt right. They were trying to talk. Yeah, they were trying to do a, a rally at Michigan State. Michigan State shut it down. They denied them, and now Michigan State is getting sued by them. And so, um, and they it, in court that probably would. It probably would uphold because that is a, a denial of freedom of speech, First Amendment. So it's like, all right, you can deny them, but then you're going to face legal action. I mean, yeah. they denied them, I guess, as a reaction to what happened in Charlotte. Like, yeah. th- this is a big institution. They have, like I said earlier, the responsibility to protect the mm-hmm. people that go to their school. I agree. I completely agree. It's just right now, you know, there are legal... Um, there's a legal cover for your First Amendment rights. And so just just saying you you can't do it because you can't speak here because your speech is hateful. Obviously, morally, I agree. 
But when it comes down to legally, you know, they have that right, unfortunately. Um, as in we all have the right to speak in, in, on a public campus or public institution. But you, your, your right to freedom of speech can be denied if it's um, if it's spewing, um, you know, um, if it's something that can incite violence. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 under the law, it can be denied, and that's why Michigan State denied it. Mm. Um, you take the Million Man March, you know, or the uh, Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech in Washington. These were peaceful assemblies. Right. Um, people, yeah, were meeting together, but it was peaceful. It was nonviolent. Mm. We, you know, that bringing something like that on a college campus, mm. the likelihood of violence spewing from it. And having a um, what could be a major catastrophe with uh, MSU that has over twenty thousand, thirty thousand kids. I mm-hmm. mean, you that they were just taking precautions. So I mean, I don't know if that'll even hold up in, in court. I mean, I mm-hmm. understand Michigan State's reasoning for not wanting that on their campus. Mm-hmm. Going back to um, um, Kim Jong Un and um, Donald Trump uh, from North Korea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, you know, owned from North Korea, Donald Trump. Um, I think um, I don't think he really took into consideration once he was elected um, and he, he got he won the election, uh, the, the magnitude of the work that he was going to have to put in and how many yeah. people that it was going to take. Uh, for instance, uh, when you read reports, the State Department, which is our diplomacy department, mm-hmm. Um, Rex Tillerson was a Exxon um, executive, executive. you know, he had no experience on uh, and running a state agency like that. Right. To date, he still has not filled over, I think it's 40 percent of his positions uh, in, in the state. So when you don't have when you're not reaching out to key people who have been in the State Department, who worked in there for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. um with North North Korea, know the culture, know the population, know the people, right. know the circumstances that are going on there. You re, you don't reach out to them. He's never once reached out to any of the previous secretaries of state to see what is it that they know. Mm-hmm. So um, what you have is someone who's sitting in a group of people mm-hmm. trying to make serious decisions. Uh, the the thing that I believe needs to happen, and um, you know, I think this is where maybe President Obama uh, could have done a better job. Is I think that we need to have s- serious, direct talks with them. Yeah, they want a seat at the table. That's mm-hmm. where all of this is coming from. Mm-hmm. And and we we've taken a hard line stance that they don't get a seat at the table. They have right. to denuclearize in order to even come have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're like. Ain't nobody else uh, denuclearizing. Why we got to, you know, that's the way that they live. That's the way they make their income. And their only friend is China. Yeah. And so we're reaching out to China and China's like the monkey in the middle, trying to make both sides happy. And it's just a, 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 I think at some point we have to come away from that and have a direct talk with them. You know, Reagan had to do it with Gorbachev. Mm -hmm. At some point in time, they have to sit down. We have to sit down with them. Have a conversation. It may not come to anything, right? But at least talk to them. Yeah, I think that's. They just want to be. Um, again, they want to be their presence felt. They want to be considered a power and a global power. Exactly. And, you know, having a nuclear weapon does that. <laughs> that does, that will definitely make you a global power. And I think from I, people saying like they may have some type of um, relationship with Iran, 
They, um, they may be secretly. Yeah. What we're hearing is that they because Iran signed that deal mm-hmm. with the Obama administration where they can't do anything for ten years. Yep. So they're saying that um, North Korea could be secretly making bombs for them. I mean, oh. they just tested another bomb over Japan the other yeah. day. I it's mean, and they were told to stop doing that. Mm. So if we don't, when I, I was going back to Rex Tillerson and the State Department, if we don't have state leaders like our Secretary of State mm. um, who is engaged in direct talks with them, we're headed to war. And if you notice, that's what every, that's what they talk about. Yeah. You hear Jim Mattis on, on, like, war should always be our very, military yeah. option should always be last, our very last, last option. It shouldn't yeah. be the first thing that comes out your mouth. Yeah. But Mr. Trump, doesn't know that. And he hasn't surrounded himself with people mm. that will speak to him and speak that to him and say, no, Mr. Uh, President, that's not our that's not shouldn't be our first option. And if they do, they probably get fired. But there's a lot of similarities between North Korea and, and Donald Trump. Like they both want to be taken seriously. And so they both use aggression, aggressive tactics to do so. Um, I think that Donald Trump has a inferiority complex, so to speak. And I think that he is he doesn't understand how governance works. And so right. he goes directly off, off the map. He goes unhinged in situations like North Korea, when you have to realize that they always, North Korea always does this. They, right. they test every single administration, but it's those, those presidents, those people in power who have that even killedness. And they understand like, all right, I, I can't get too high or too low in North Korea. Cause that's just how they are. Mm-hmm. I think once you realize that, then you take their power away. But right now he's feeding into their power because he's, he's He's trying to go all out. He's trying to do whatever he can. Trump's trying to do whatever he can to stop them. And he's putting on the table those war options. And North Korea is like, hey, we don't have nothing to lose. Like we we, we we're poor as a, as an economy. Um, you know, they don't have really any power right now. So a war can only just make them better in their eyes. Yeah, he he better um, pay attention to his predecessor. Mm. You know, um, you cannot make hard lines like he said, you know, if they if they better not threaten us one more time or they'll be met with fury and fire. Right. And then they did it three more times. Yeah. You know, just like yeah. President Obama stepped up to the podium and said, you know, if Syria gases their um, if the president gases their people one more time with these chemical weapons, mm-hmm. that that's a hard line. And, and then they did it. it. Yeah. And then we did nothing. You know, so, you know, he, I think he needs to white. And President Obama has reflected back on that and talked about how he maybe shouldn't have made that comment because mm-hmm. the world will test you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone will push that button and they will see how how far you will go. You're willing to go. They're yeah. both guys that just want to be loved, man. They, they do. They do. Trump, <laughs> Trump and Kim just want to be loved, man. <laughs> they, they, they He's getting enough love from uh, from Dennis Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. That's all hey, it comes yo. down to. It boils down to them wanting to be respected. They want to be feared as leaders. And they want to be loved by as many people as possible. <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, it's. I guess this is. <laughs> we're we're done. This is the, this is the end of. Uh, of Can we talk? I want to thank you all for for joining us today. Um, great discussion, and we will again follow us on social media. Um, unofficial. Uh, uh, sorry, on Facebook. Unofficial. Uh, Can we talk podcast? Um, and we will be back next week. <laughs>